0: Game, a podcast by Macau Group, where we bring you raw conversations with talented specialists and people who are passionate about what they do in the built environment. This is Volume 1, where we focus on uh, on energy efficiency in buildings. My name is Kelvin Moreipi, and I lead the team here at Macau. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at uh, macao.com.au. That's M-A-K-A-O.com.au. Today's guests are... Robert Sebeck and Stuart Brain from Kingspan. Uh, they will be sharing their knowledge and exper- expertise in the, from, a, from a manufacturer perspective in relation to the National Construction Code, uh, the changes that are happening in the industry, uh, thermal bridging, condensation, etc. Always leave the door to your mind open and enjoy the conversation. Thank you, thank you for making time today, um, Rob and Stu. Um, thank you for joining us um, in the Long Game podcast. Um, really looking forward to having this conversation with you guys. Um, maybe just to kick off the conversation, um, would be best to for you for you guys to share about um, or tell us about yourself uh, yourselves, um, just a professional background uh, and maybe your roles um, at uh, at Kingspan.
1: Sure. Well, thanks for having us, Kelvin. I think I'll let Stuart uh, kick off. Goes yeah, to- sure.
2: Yeah, Stuart Brain. I'm the a National Specification Manager here at Kingspan Installations, one of the divisions uh, within Kingspan. Um, I started my life many, many years ago, left school and went to university and did, a, uh, did spend some time studying chemistry. And then ever since, I've been working for building material companies from... Supplying, you know, the raw materials to all the different things like plaster and concrete and steel and paint and 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 um, you know, now here I am in a, in a, in an organisation that manufactures manufactures uh, insulation. Um, so um, uh, we've been, come a long long way, and um, since that time, I've only been here three years myself. But previous to that, was I was in a plumbing company and previous to that I was with um, organizations like Oricar and 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 uh, large corporates as well so and I currently work with uh, in Sydney and I currently work with a, a wonderful team of uh, spec managers including Rob here and he's um he's based in Melbourne in lockdown so mm-hmm. I'll hand it over to him
1: <laughs> yes, Stu that's uh, that's brilliant uh, thanks Colvin, for inviting us along to uh, share my name's Robert Seebeck. I uh, started life as well as Stu and uh, we both studied. Funnily enough, I ended up doing chemi- chemical engineering and chemistry at uh, wonderful Monash Uni here in Melbourne, and uh, then ventured uh, my first role. Actually, was uh, in a manufacturing facility making of all things rock wool insulation. So my life's come full circle back into insulation, a bit of a different uh, different nature now. <laughs> uh, largely worked with corporates, large corporates, uh, multinationals. Uh, my role previous to Kingspan Insulation was with another large multinational in passive fire. So uh, typically my role involves specification detailing, passive fire systems and acoustic systems, as well as uh, dealing with building surveyors, certifiers, fire safety engineers, largely structural engineers. Most of the larger uh, uh, houses here in Melbourne, uh, consulting firms and architects, of course, uh, full gamut and builders. So it was quite a varied role and uh, stepped into working with Kingspan Installation pretty t- pretty much the same time as Stu some nearly three years ago. And the uh, role basically was around fire compliance and uh, to, to help uh, some navigate some of those waters there, uh, which we did. And uh, here we are now, obviously, deep in NCC 2019, helping people understand some of the major issues in around Section J changes, uh, thermal bridging and, the like and uh, condensation, which we'll touch on through the uh, discussion today. So I look forward to helping out here with the, with the discourse.
0: Thanks. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. You know, we've been talking offline uh, uh, in preparation for the for the podcast. It's very interesting to um, hear about the, uh, I guess, how as, as a supplier or manufacturer uh, you view the energy efficiency space, uh, particularly in, in response to the NCC or the National Construction Code 2019. Um, there are a lot of changes that have come in, um, so I'm really looking forward to hearing about um, your experience and um, your, I guess, observations of what. Um, has been happening in the last over the last maybe two or so years yep. and what's likely to happen as well uh, in the next two years but before we dive into that um, i know Kingspan is uh, a very large organization a very large business and um, got various uh, lines lines of business Um but there are some people that might not um, have an eye. So, for for example, the people that might not engage with you, or the listeners that might not engage with you directly. Um, would you be able to um, just give an overview of um, what Kingspan is um, and yeah, who Kingspan is essentially?
2: Yeah, sure. I'll dive on that one. So, Kingspan's um, a large uh, multinational organisation. We have our head offices over there in uh, Ireland. A couple of guys started it many, many years ago in the pub in Ireland and has grown to be very large, 15,000 employees. I think we turned over in 2020, 4.6 billion euro across 70 countries. Um, we've got manufacturing plants all over the world and um, in particular the one we've we've got that plant here in, in, in Melbourne. And in particular, it's been awarded a six-star green star um, her factory and so I think it was the, f- uh, the earliest or well, the first factory in Australia to achieve that rating so we're really proud and really excited to tell everyone about that. It wasn't an easy thing to do but we managed to get that took us a number of years to achieve that um, we've got a number of divisions and um, Funny, it's uh, we've got Kingspan insulation where Rob and I work. We've got Kingspan insulated panels and we've got Kingspan water and then we've got our flooring division. So there's four divisions, but for today Rob and I will be touching on um, Section J. But if we do any referencing, it's towards the uh, the Kingspan insulation division, which was what Rob and I work with. So, and that's
1: largely that's internal insulation linings, I guess, yep. just to differentiate our Kingspan insulated panels. Cousins, uh, who look after the external uh, panels side, as whereas well the we are the internal, so we're soffits and internal linings
2: yep. to uh, walls and underfloor and so forth. So all the everyone will know the CoolTherm brand. <clears throat> so CoolTherm rigid board insulation is where, what's what we predominantly uh, focus on, and that's that's the board made at the uh, plant there in Melbourne, Somerton. So pretty exciting, pretty good, very very.
1: So lots of our listeners are in, in Melbourne, actually. Uh, we, we do do uh, tours. So if you want to organise a, a tour, we can possibly help out there and uh, take you through the
0: factory.
1: Yeah, through the factory. Uh, it's a $40 million plant with a uh, extensive, long, automated line. It's fully automated. Mm-hmm. I think there's only about uh, 10 uh, workers working that line. We can produce up to 5 million square. Uh,
2: 10 workers. Of material a year.
0: Mm. Did you know
2: very, very new. Mm. did you know that the, the material, the raw material gets manufactured um mm. into the board and it gets lined with whatever we decide to line based on the, the product itself? Um the next time someone touches that board will be on a building site. So it's fully automated from the time it gets manufactured through to um, cutting, wrapping, palletizing, curing, and so on and so on. It's a, it's a really modern facility so Very we've had the likes
1: of we have we've had the likes of architects through and uh, you know the building designers we've even had the brigade here through the through the uh, <clears throat> plant um, fire safety engineers building mm-hmm. surveyors so uh, you know any group of people that are, have got interest in what we manufacture here in Australia it's one of the rare rarities really so most manufacturers are exiting Australia as we know we're, we're coming in so mm-hmm. Kingspan obviously've got a uh, long-term view uh, on
0: the marketplace and um, on, on energy overall. Uh, when, with the tools, are they mostly um, people coming just to see the process or the factory itself or um, also seeing some of the materials uh, and products being made there?
1: Mm, correct, yeah, all of the above. All of the above. Pretty
0: pretty the above. Yes, mm. yes. Yeah. So,
1: um, you know, if we can organise that for uh, for a group of uh, handful of people, I think we can take up to a maximum of 12 or so. We uh, happy, mm. uh, happy to liaise with uh, with you on that one, Kelvin, if you've got any of your uh, good listeners who wish to uh, see what we
0: do and how we do. Just before we uh, dive into the nitty-gritty of the Section J uh, and the NCC 2019 changes, um, uh, I'm aware that uh, Kingsman has their uh, their Planet Passionate program. Um, could you please um, just share or just touch on that a little bit uh, just to help people put it into context? Sure. So, so Planet Passionate is uh, an
2: initiative that Kingspan launched. It's a global initiative. Um, it's uh, part of our 10-year sustainability strategy, um, and it touches on three core areas, which is uh, circularity, uh, climate change, and the protection of our natural world. Right? So every division and, and every particular manufacturing site, because cl- circularity is big on manufacturing and using um, non naturally non finite resources. So each of the facilities has um, targets to hit by 2030, and we're looking at um, energy, carbon, waste, and water. They're your four key um, targets. We're trying to hit, you know, reducing energy, net zero, net zero carbon, you know, zero carbon pretty waste and, and, um, and landfill, and then um, saving water naturally in the process of doing that. So Planet Passion encompasses all of that globally, um, mm-hmm. and we are also align ourselves with partners uh, like, you know, Born Free and and um, EP, RE100 and Advanced Net Zero and a few other um, the global organisations that um, have got a very similar strategy to what we're trying to achieve. So it filters right through the business from a, from a sustainability point of view and on the back of our six-star rating with our, with our factory. Mm-hmm.
1: We're very proud of that uh, Planet Passionate too, Kelvin. Uh, I think we, we were actually having a discourse on online with a, with a major uh, developer here in, in, uh, in Australia and uh, they were talking as, as well about very similar objectives for their company. So uh, it's it seems to be, uh, you know, a, a good alignment for many companies now to be having these targets.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I like how it's not just focusing on uh, the energy bit, um, but looking at it from a more integrated perspective of uh, water and waste as well mm-hmm. yep. right. and the carbon elements too. No, as I as slowly pivot away from that, um, begin to maybe just get uh, your, your perspective on um, the NCC 2019, particularly focusing on the Section J, which deals with energy efficiency in buildings. Um, maybe just a, a high-level um, summary before we go into the details, uh, high-level summaries of uh, what the changes um, are from maybe your own interpretation, yeah. And then maybe after that, as a follow-up question, will be um, why why are these changes, or what's driving these changes uh, at this point in time? And, and they're good questions. Again, i just
1: jump in before maybe Stu takes this uh, the helm on this one a little bit here too. Probably, well, look, we're not ESD consultants, and we don't try to be. We uh, we have a very strong technical department sitting behind both myself and Stu. Um, and a lot of the, the detailed, in-depth um, uh, questions are dealt with by our technical department, our very skilled technical department. Um, we will cover off uh, what we've, I guess, experienced in the last three years mm-hmm. and, uh, and provide a little bit of feedback from what we see in the marketplace and some of the changes, particularly from NCC 2016 Amendment 1, uh, going right through, as you said, to NCC 2019. So, uh, Stu, over to you if you want to give us a quick summary of...
2: Yeah, so um, some of the big changes effectively some people are talking about how large it is it's a quite a big change to section J um, it's virtually some people say oh, it's been rewritten and you could yeah you could pretty much say that um, the, the, the the deemed to satisfy provisions around um, thermal constructions um, walls glazing floors you know uh, roof and ceiling construction so on that's all that's all new there's been an addition um, some changes to some standards, there's been ad- additional standards added. Um, there's been some of the performance requirements as well. There's been some changes of that as well. Um, so, yes, it, it, big changes to um, occur um, and to answer, I think you, meant, you asked earlier, is it a good good thing? We think it is a good thing. It's, 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 it's this evolution of code. You know, we take ourselves back 20, 30 years and you didn't need to put any insulation in the in buildings, right? There's no really no thermal performance requirements to, to where we are today, and it will continue this path. And if we want to embrace energy efficiency, if we want to embrace sustainable design, if we want to keep building costs and the energy requirement to maintain and run buildings, we want to keep that down. And we want to be sustainable globally. Then this is this has to happen. So. Mm-hmm. Indoor, indoor comfort, obviously, is a big part of that. So we see the introduction now
1: of PMV, which we'll cover off a little bit later on. But we're often asked, you know, where where did that, that change, what direction and why did it really happen? And uh, early early on, we, we used to do webinars where we talked about the, the National Energy Productivity Plan, NEPP, which was at the time part of um, the COAG Energy Council, which later changed its name to uh, National Cabinet. Um, so that had a great package of measures Uh, essentially to improve Australia's energy productivity uh, by 40% between 2015 and 2030, uh, as per the commitment that Australia made under the Paris Agreement. So that's kind of where it all stemmed from, the the large changes that we've now seen and the steps we've seen going forward in the energy efficiency area under our uh, NCC I think which we're all embracing, and I think a lot of uh, ESD consultants that are probably listening uh, would agree that it's uh, that it's high time. <clears throat> the feedback we get is that we're still a long way back from uh, perhaps countries like Europe and even our uh, friends across. Hundred percent, we are
2: across. We the
1: are. that's right. In <laughs> New Zealand, they've they've already been <laughs> in advance of us, particularly the fact that they've had thermal bridging in, as part of their code, which we uh, are now just uh, seeing and taking on board. So. Long way to go, but
2: it's, a, it's a you know, it's an important start and a positive start. Mm-hmm. Kelvin, their climate, the overseas climate driven it, right? So those yeah. you know, climates when you're getting to minus 14s and someone on. took about 10 to design. Mm. Yeah, they've had to do that and it's driven that, whereas, the, you know, largely Australian climates are a bit more forgiving. Um, so, but having said that, um, we're, yeah, we're catching up and i
1: think the, the key thing too is that we've seen a, a nice change for uh 2019 NCC is brought in you know for, for classes two to nine um, class one will start to obviously see some changes under nCC 2022 is is the uh, the vibe that we're uh, that we're hearing uh so that'll be good too for for the residential market to start to uh, increase uh, its uh, its performance levels and, and requirements so um, Natters and so forth will be, um, you know, driven to seven stars and beyond, uh, which is good. And
0: uh, the comfort levels for, for people and energy reduction, as Stuart mentioned before, are all, all part of that. Yeah, definitely a positive, positive, positive change. Um, uh, some of us wish it be a little bit more accelerated, but um, we will take it. Uh, one, one stride at a time. Yep. Just before I go to the next question, there's something, you, there's a term you mentioned, Rob, um, about energy, energy productivity. Um, would you just uh, provide a little bit of a definition around what, what that is? I think it's something that stemmed from, you mentioned stemmed from was it COG? Um, the COAG, the COAG and the NEPP. Yeah, yeah. So, look, I, I probably
1: won't be able to give you that much more detail. Kelvin, I think you're more... Uh, more, more um, expert in that area but yeah the, the package the Greek package that uh, that's been put together is is obviously uh, driving this from a from a you know, global perspective uh, for us here in Australia mm-hmm. so I don't know whether you'd like to maybe add more into into that what you're seeing from that package uh, as a professional in that in that space.
0: Yeah, I believe it's uh, the timeline um, essentially from twenty about twenty twenty to twenty thirty, and yeah. moving gradually moving towards uh, net zero buildings in terms yeah. of energy and carbon as well, um, and having that staged um, reduction in terms of how much energy con- uh, the buildings consume, and Correct. obviously the associated um, greenhouse gas emissions. So um, that for was forty percent. Forty percent. Yeah yeah, yeah over, over the next uh, five yeah, or by so 2030. years. yeah then yeah um yeah i was just curious to to hear it from it's, it's always mm-hmm. interesting to hear it from different perspectives in terms of how they see their and interpret their that their, their information as well or their concepts yeah.
2: we're um yeah, that, that's a good really good point um mm-hmm. how does it translate through to someone like an insulation manufacturer we're so mm-hmm. far down the chain you know so and we're, we're one component of a building you know we don't we don't heat or cool a building, but we, we we maintain the heating or maintain the cooling of the building, right? Um, and and uh, there's challenges around, around that. So it's one thing to say, hey, here's here's some changes to Section J mm. and please design it that way, Mr Architect and Mr Engineer and Mr EST and so on and so on. When it comes to actually physically building it and physically sourcing the materials and so on, that's a whole different game. And uh, the construction industry is very conservative, they don't like change too much. They like to, to, to continue to do what they do. And I get that. So there's challenges around adopting technologies that enable us to build more sustainable and more energy efficient what practices. And it might mean that we need to build differently. It might need to mean we need to procure materials differently and alter the build program. And that space between design and construction, that's there is a there's a gap there. Um, and that's where we start to see. See that, and especially um, that's in the con- in the in the commercial space. Mm. We haven't seen it in the residential space yet because a lot of these changes haven't taken place in, in those class one and to class two buildings, which which NCC twenty twenty
0: two would be exactly. out for comment right now. Should should um, address? Uh, maybe as uh, we zoom in a little bit, uh, uh, Stu, you mentioned that there are few new standards that have been introduced to the um, section J. Yep. Um, could you uh, just please uh, touch on what they are and essentially what they mean, um, and potentially tie it into how you guys, see as a as a manufacturer from the insulation space, um, see it as well? Absolutely. So, okay, there's uh, an existing standard called
2: AS four eight five nine, and that's got two parts to it, right? And they've up. This is an existing standard, but they updated it, so it's it's four eight five nine part 1, 2018. And 4859 Part 2, 2018, um, Part 1 largely deals with, you know, the general criteria and technical provisions of materials. So products like Kingspan Cool Firm and so on, um, the way we uh, measure the conductivity of our materials, the way we actually, the actual measurement itself has changed. Okay, so our materials haven't physically changed but the standard now says hey you need to measure your conductivity we this way you need to firstly measure it at 23 degrees okay this
1: applies have... to by the way sorry Stu, this applies to all manufacturers of, of insulation as well so it's not just for us it's for
2: everyone
0: data. Everyone. Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: so you need to measure the if you want we're digging deep into the detail but i know but we need to measure your your material now your conductivity the k value the lambda you need to get that number at 23 degrees we also need to measure it we also need to age the product and the reason it's really good that this is occurring because things like makes it standardizes your materials across materials across different types of materials that would maybe necessarily have different chemistry and yeah. perform differently um, as an example if you measure your conductivity of one material at a lower temperature you get a better you get better conductivity versus mm-hmm. if you measure it at a higher temperature and equally if i measure my the material at, um, as soon as it comes out off the line, out of the factory, I'll get a better, um, higher lower conductivity or a higher R value than if I measure it one, five, 10 years down the track. Mm. So when we say we're going to standardise the temperature and we're also going to standardise the ageing of the product, there are two things that that standard now is introduced, which is we encourage and we embrace. We have to reissue brochures. We have to update all of our um, literature, our website and so on to now Our R values, our material R values actually dropped by 8% across the board on average. Um, Part two of that standard is being updated as well and um, that's the system design, which is how we calculate a total R value for for an envelope, part of the envelope. And inside that standard, there's a new standard and that's a New Zealand standard called NZS 4214 2006. So we adopted the New Zealand standard and that's, where thermal bridging has come in, and as of if I if I t- holistically say about section J the changes, I reckon thermal bridging is probably the, the biggest introduction, the biggest change, and the biggest challenge that um, has caused the most disruption, if that's the word, or the biggest improvement in in in, in energy efficient walls, energy efficient floors, roofs, and the whole envelope, mm-hmm. because under NCC twenty sixteen we ignored thermal bridging. A thermal bridge is just stud work, noggins, um, gaps in insulation where you might have a junction point where there's no insulation at all, or you might have a, um, any area where you have glass wall and then it stops and starts somewhere else. That They're called thermal bridging. It's where heat is either lost or gained through the envelope. Um, mm. And traditionally we would um, model up buildings and ignore those areas and what we're saying now with Section J changes we have to account for that. And how we account for that, there's various solutions. One of the solutions is things like let's make the insulation cover the whole wall instead of having a broken or a discontinuous insulation. Let's let's have it continuous. Mm. Um, so 4859 part one and two is are largely rewritten and mm. with especially with the introduction of thermal bridging under four two one four.
1: And there are important uh, points there that you're making too, Stu. The, the, the key thing is that for our listeners that they make sure, as far as compliance is concerned, that they, they ensure that all the manufacturers that, that they're dealing with are, are across the, the latest changes and that they're referencing in their technical data or their compliance data the AS4859 2018 standard, uh, which Stu mentioned before as the latest standard. So to ensure that uh, all those things are covered off. One other thing that was interesting too, Stu, in that design part too, that there is a um, uh, not only the thermal bridging, which as you said, is probably the biggest impact, but there's also things like, um, you know, positioning of the thermal materials where they're positioned, let's say, inside a lightweight wall. If it's closer uh, to the outside uh, you know, facade or whether the insulation is closer to the inside um, linings. The position of the material actually does also impact on uh, on the overall total R value. So they're, they're interesting things as, as we calculate or our technical department calculates uh, thermal performance computations for builds. That's why we often ask architects to provide a you know, build-up of, of their wall or floor or ceiling so we can also see where the intent is to put the insulation material. In addition
2: to this, it gets quite detailed, Kelvin, but <laughs> yeah. You can tell me if I'm going too deep here. but no, in That's interesting. But yeah. Um, That's why, why we're helping the conversation, just to, yeah, to, yeah, to get yeah. that
0: level of
2: information. <laughs> so um one of the things we found is um the detail required now in design, right? So mm. traditionally, your stud work, for example, which are bridges, thermal bridges, we need to account how much, what percentage of the wall is thermally broken? Mm. And therefore, we can work out how much insulation we need to put to compensate for the uninsulated areas right so it really how how big is you how thick uh, how thick is the studs you mm-hmm. using how far apart are they like I mean, what this, this is important timber. now it was never important before mm-hmm. and equally and then we get and then we, um, we we talk about uh, okay well, what class of building is it so because if it's a if it's a you know a class a class 2 high you know multi-res high rise it doesn't apply right if it's a class 1 it doesn't apply um so we got 4859 Part 1, the standard, applies to all classes, but actually Part 2 or the in particular thermal bridging doesn't apply to all standards. Mm-hmm. So we're talking Volume 1, Volume 2. There's so a few questions to ratify this. Um, we've had aged care facilities in particular um, where we've had some parts of the building have exactly the same wall type mm-hmm. to other parts of the building, but the stud work is closer together. So therefore, the insulation requirements are different. It's the same wall type with exactly the same materials, but one's got more bridging than the other. Mm. So, therefore, one needed more insulation, one needed less. So, as now. an
1: example, too, Stu, that's uh, that's a really critical thing. When you're talking about, let's say, lightweight construction, timber or steel, obviously, timber's going to have slightly um, not as high a conductivity as,
2: as steel. Yeah, that'll, be, that'll add to it, exactly.
1: That will add. And so you might have, for example, you know, the average build might be, framework might be 8 to 15%. Thermally bridged or you know bridged areas of that of uh, that framework but that'll account for example if you've got say under NCC 2016 a 90 timber studs um, with 2.5r 2.5 R2.5 bats in there well then the cut the, you basically assume that that wall is an r 2.5 under Ncc 2016 but going forward under under 2019 the thermal bridging impact uh, sees the the D rating if you like of that that um, of that system from R2.5, they may drop to an R1.7 or 1.6. And for steel studs, it's even uh, higher in, in the D rating. It may be an R2.5 uh, with thermal bridging applied to it drops to an R1.1. Mm. So there, there are quite substantial um losses and we don't even realize how how substantial they may be until you start seeing the calculations as you know Mm. into the effects of thermal bridging and and therefore the impact on on what you're done with that wall so Mm. so some of the designers are coming to us going all right well if we're now got an r2.5 wall that's down down an r1.1 for example or r1.6 can we put in thermal brakes and there's another question too isn't it you that we find often is confused for thermal bridging versus thermal brakes well Thermal break is not the same as a thermal bridge. Thermal breaks may help in reducing the effects of thermal bridging, but will not eliminate um, a thermal bridging impact. So, a thermal thermal break might add maybe r point two to the overall uh, losses. But uh, other than that, it's still a huge and significant loss through thermal bridging impacts.
2: Sorry, can I just uh, just on that other point is really Rob Ray is really important. we, we under NCC 2016, everyone would talk about, oh, I needed, I need a, and we get this a lot, we still get it. Mr. Architect or engineer or someone or the client might say, I need an added R2, right? You yeah. go, okay. Um, so, me, they, what they're saying is, can you give me a piece of insulation that gives me an R2 that has a material R value of R2? You can't do that anymore, right? Because what Rob said is the material R value, now that we take into account, thermal bridging no longer gives you R2.
0: Mm.
2: So a glass wall bat, which would traditionally have given you R2, say two and a half, can now only give you one. The actual system R value it's delivering to the system is now one because of thermal bridging. is broken. Mm. Mm. Right, So we now we, it, 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 we can no longer say, okay, I'm going to add my plaster, my glass wall, my airspace, my whatever I've got, and add it up and have happy days. That's, 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 we can no longer do that because thermal bridging and, and the way we calculate it is through isothermal planes. And then, and, and that was assuming it was all homogenous. Isn't a layer in there that's not homogenous? Mm-hmm. The layer that's not homogenous is the layer of the stud work and the insulation. So we need to take the two paths, calculate the thermal resistance of both, and then work that out. And that's that's really how you work out an RT value, to love RT value nowadays. And then yes, this thing will so long saying, well, do I need a thermal break? Well, a thermal break is just a piece of insulation that sits between, usually between the plaster and stud work. Yeah, you don't need that anymore. Why? Oh, we can have continuous insulation across the whole lot. Well, you've got continuous insulation across all of your stud with the whole wall, the, your whole ceiling. You don't need to have a break because it's already broken. So, um, yeah, huge, huge lot of confusion, like Rob said, of those two. A thermal break, just a piece of insulation. A thermal bridge is an area in the wall that's, that's got heat loss. I think one of the, uh,
1: just to add to that too, Stu, very good points, and that is that now going forward, a lot yeah. of the designers are, uh, you know, being pressed to make sure that the internal footprint or the overall footprint of the wall is... is um, uh, optimised because developers obviously want to secure the maximum amount of net lettable or net saleable area. So when you take thermal bridging into uh, account a typical stud wall, let's say it's up against a uh, facade, precast concrete or masonry wall, you put a 90 mil studs as, as we used to do years ago with some bats in there and then the plasterboard and that would give you R2.5 and there was a concession for the concrete If it was over 220 kilograms a square meter, you could add another R.5, so that got us to the, you know, 2.8 quite easily. Yeah. But now that changes. So the thermal bridging has your steel work. uh, If you put up a normal steel stud wall up against a uh, precast or masonry wall, put in your R2.5 bats, and that wall now might only provide R1.1. So what to do? Well, then the designer either has... Two options: they either go fatter. They try and put uh, more bulk insulation in, which might push the wall out to being a one-fifty-plus stud uh, with two layers of bats maybe uh, in there, and then they're in their plasterboard over that, which then now has decreased their footprint, internal footprint. Mm-hmm. Or, as you said before, we go to a continuous insulation and um, put that hard up against the uh, precast concrete with a with a plasterboard lining over it. So, it's uh, it may still be a sixty millimetre thick. For example, cool-firm board, and that will give you the same as uh, what might have to be now uh, uh, our know, 150 mil plus steel stud bat wall. So the, there's obvious advantages to continuous installation. Now, having said that, uh, for type A and B constructions, you, you know, cool-firm, we, we, we can't do an AS1530 Part 1 uh, because in Section 1.4 of that standard it says that we can't uh, test in that small-scale test uh, anything that's laminated, painted or coated so we go a performance solution pathway, and that's something that we you know, discuss early days with architects if they want to use our material as part of the internal uh, lining of a facade wall or exterior wall, that they make sure that it's a performance solution becomes part of the FEBFER, along with many other um, you know, items that go in that FEBFER. This just becomes another one of them as part of the performance solution. And we've had many buildings uh, in, in Australia satisfy the performance uh, Criteria all mm. that. So that's, that's, a, that's another area, and we ask you know, all designers to check in with us and uh, make sure that their building surveyor and fire safety engineers are all across that. Um, and uh, it does come off successfully. Stu mentioned before thermal, the thermal ISO planes are very critical too, and it's good to understand how, how they work um, and why that works. And the NZS 4214 takes that all into account. It is a hand calculation. There are also more dynamic calculations for calculating thermal bridging. Um, can be quite expensive, but um, you know it's 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 another path to using NZS or an alternative to using NZS four two one four. But the outcome is still the same. The thermal bridging is still a big part of the uh, the requirement now to make sure that all walls, floors, and ceilings are um, accounted for
0: rethermal bridging. Maybe just to rewind a little bit, uh, a little bit back to the. Uh the, the the new standards that um, Stu mentioned, sounds of it, we've been doing things very. Yeah, we, we, were cu- we were not capturing the accurate information in terms of a performance perspective, um, in that we were not accounting for thermal bridging um, to begin with, um, but there, there there's two things you mentioned about um, standardizing uh, for temperature and and aging. Um, I'm just curious because I, I don't think some something I've been exposing, uh, to, exposed to and I don't think it's something that a lot of the listeners would have been exposed to either. Could you just touch on that a yeah. little bit more? Um, yeah.
2: Sure. So yes, you want to talk first?
0: about the Stu, with the statistical
1: assessments, 10 tests, how, how deep you want to... Do oh, you can go, yeah, go for it, Robin. yeah. Yeah, yeah, just, just summarised. Yeah. So the, the changes to the to the uh, to the thermal testing. I mean, that's that's a it's a real it's a real big part of that uh, that four eight five nine standard part one. Um, the that, that each manufacturer has to take ten statistical samples and test results from uh, their materials, and that's assessed under the, the standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they then have uh, lambda values with ninety percent confidence um which is also part of the process but and but Stu mentioned before that each material type so let's say um phenolic uh, rigid board which is the cool firm board made from phenolic resin has a different test standard um an accelerated aging process requiring for example 14 days at 110 degrees c or alternatively 175 days at 70 degrees c uh, or it's, or it's aged using a prescribed slicing method, which is another process which we won't get into now, but polyisosanurate, which is another rigid uh, thermoset material, uh, and we manufacture a lot of that for our insulator panels division up in Sydney. polyisosanurate and polyurethane insulations are required to, to be you know, aged differently. They have a, a heating aged uh, from 175 days at70 170 degrees C or again, using a prescribed slicing method, whereas extruded polystyrene, for example, uh, is required to be aged for uh, up to 90 days at 23 degrees C, depending on the product uh, thickness and composition, Um, whether it's faced with foil or et cetera. Uh, But EPS uh, doesn't require to be uh, aged, tested. So there's differences for each different type of material. And the key thing for all listeners is to make sure that Again, no matter what that process sounds like, it's quite complicated perhaps, but uh, uh, at the end of the day, that the manufacturer has to be able to show their compliance with the latest 4859 um, 2018, and that's important. And there is also, and you might talk about this, Stu, the thermal value summary report, which can be issued by uh, a manufacturer to show the the very nature of of that uh, testing having been
2: done. And like I said earlier, the if you the conductivity will change if you you measure the material strata of the factory and versus uh for aged uh you know one, two, five years. Part of the reason, if you want to go to the chemistry of it, is um our product I'll take our product for example, it's foamed. There's little tiny bubbles, you know, and if you look closely at our board, the rigid board, there's little tiny bubbles inside the bubbles, there's a material in there that makes it really thermally fantastic, right? If the bubbles, what they call open-celled, right, if there's open cells, you know, there's the bubbles are not closed, um, that 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 material will leach out, right? And so it's, if you can imagine, it's in there upon manufacturing the material, and if I measure the conductivity, happy days, it will get a good number. If I age it and I measure that same material, down the track, a few years' time, some of that material would have been lost into the atmosphere, and so you would expect the these open cell materials, their their conductivity will not be as good; it'll be poorer. It it'll actually perform as, as an inferior product. So, where do I measure them? Where do I measure my conductivity as a published piece of data for the market to use for the ESDs to measure the thermal performance of buildings? I have to be reliant on some. You know, relative standard. And what we're saying now is, let's let's all age it to a standard that's part of four eight five nine. And the same with temperature. The temperature will affect the rate at which that excretion of the the material um, exits the the material. Amongst other things, chemically, but it will adjust the the conductivity of the material at a higher or a lower lower temperature. So, again, standardizing. The materials testing at twenty three degrees makes it more reliable. It makes it more more believable, and it makes us more and more think. Okay, well, I'm going to use this material in a building in a certain place um, that en- enables me to m- ensure that I have a well performing, sustainable,
0: energy efficient efficient building. So essentially, um, a standardisation of how their performance is. Uh- undertaken and rated so that you have um, a uniform uh, way of assessing different products throughout you the industry rather than each manufacturer ha- uh, manufacturer having their own thing. Instead of you testing it at
2: one degree, I tested at 40 and I age mine, you don't, and it's all over the place. Now it's yes, it's.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a welcome change. You can also um, manipulate the um, the values to get the results that you 100%. want. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yes. So it's so the main so the, the, the kind of the detailed changes are uh, uh, mainly to do with accounting for that thermal bridging factor, and then um, the standardized process, and also how uh, like a a change in terms of how it. Um, account for the total R value throughout the, the 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 fabric system.
2: Yeah, correct. If you take all of those things together, correct. So the, yeah. the de- devaluation of the lambda, so our, our the, the actual R material R values have dropped. We introduced thermal bridging, so we actually the we're accounting for this thermal loss that we never did before, um, and a few other things. Those the totality of that means that yes, when we model buildings now. It's um what we'd normally get. and We've modelled this. What we'd normally get on say a, div, a given build up, <clears throat> which would normally under NCC twenty sixteen might give it an R three, the same exact same wall with the new rules as giving an R one point five. You're losing about half. Target R values have also dropped. Mm. But, but don't get me wrong. The, the the actual um the the deliverable resistance for the material in the system is also. Being greatly devalued, so it's quite difficult to get there. Um, is, is there our solutions? Don't get me wrong; it's easy, easy to achieve with the right materials. It's just we need to model and build.
0: Building oh, up that at the back of your mind when you're designing as well. Yeah. yeah, and this and this is probably an important
1: area. now that that, that uh, the ESD consultants we're suggesting, and in fact we heard from from one ESD consultant talking about you know steps along the way for early design and where does an ESD consultant fit? It's almost step zero now. Uh, that you want an architect to be engaging an ESD consultant, you know, particularly when you're looking at the the overall, you know, the holistic uh, approach to the building design thermally. That you don't want to end up two three months down the track in in documentation, and then find out, oh, geez, my window wall ratios are out, or, or uh, you know, I have an account of a thermal bridging, or whatever it might be. So it's a really important step for the designers architects to engage their ESD consultants very early
2: in the piece and make sure they've got all those things uh, right. Would you agree with that, Stu? 100% early it's engagement with energy-efficient guys, the facade consultants, the ESDs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of our presentations now is get in early. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it time and time again, Kelvin, and they've come to us and said, oh, we've modelled this and we're really struggling to to, to hit this because of the, like Rob said, The, I mean, the the, the fact that you've got to hit a U-value for your facade where you traditionally would have had your glazing calculator and then your wall calculation separate. Now they're, we're modelling it up together with shading and, you know, colour and so on and so on. Um, ESD engagement, the early piece, is very, very important.
0: Yeah, as okay. uh, it becomes a costly thing towards end, if you leave it towards... Um, yeah, 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 Towards the yeah, yeah. end yeah. Uh, or towards that building, building, building approval or building... That's one of the... Stage.
2: I mean, you, the observations of... Where market trends—that's—that's that's what we're starting to see. If you want to say mm-hmm. that's um, facade consultants, ESDs, their workload yes. has has been in into great demand in the last twelve yeah. months. And one of the
1: interesting things too, Stu, is is the is, the, is very important. Uh, and then working in with your with your manufacturer too is is, is vital. With uh, with the insulation manufacturers, for example, or your glazing uh, manufacturers. Um, in fact, with with let's say one of our, you've got you came across this early early on, Stu, with a uh, I think an aged care facility where they had a lightweight wall construction, brick veneer, um, with a stud wall, steel stud wall. Um, and they were wanting to, um, uh, you know, future-proof their building and ensure that thermal bridging was, was taken care of. So it ended up being that, uh, you know, looking at bats wasn't the only way to go forward. They could actually hybridise, and this is our technical department came back, for example, in this one, Kelvin, and they found that by using both uh, traditional conventional bats inside the steel stud wall and then using a continuous layer of insulation uh, forming the internal lining uh, of, the, of the build, created a uh, hybridised uh, wall situation, which was then optimising the, the overall footprint. As, as we know, HK has a very specific uh, areas that they required to, to meet uh, minimums, and uh, this helped them achieve those footprints in the in the wall by hybridising both using BATS as well mm-hmm. as continuous insulation in the one wall design in that that example.
0: Earlier on, you did mention that there's a big distinction between thermal bridging and thermal breaks, um, which which is very easy to get uh, get get mixed up mixed up about. Um, so the, the the way the way I see it is um, double bridging is is the problem, um, and a thermal break would be one of the solutions to uh, mitigating the effects. Um, yep,
2: even even simpler, Kelvin. Even yeah. simpler, thermal bridging is yeah it's a problem. It's actually the heat where heat is lost through the envelope. Yeah, yeah. and a thermal break is a piece of insulation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's because I <laughs> that think of that people. Kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A thermal bridge isn't a product. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a thing. It's a it's a it's a system. Yeah. And whereas a thermal break is yes, yes. And that's it's
0: the product. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a piece of, which is like, Yeah,
2: piece of insulation that
0: sits. Yeah, because you, you can have it in um, the window frames or you can have it um, at the back of the, whatever it's, the studs yeah, yeah. or something else. Still required um, in Class 2 buildings,
2: for example.
1: And, and for yeah. example, Kingspan to make an air cell range that uh, there's some products uh, part of that air cell range that do form an R.2 uh, thermal uh, break. So, you know, other manufacturers do as well. So there's, there's way to, ways to create those small thermal breaks Um, But the overall impact is still substantial. Thermal bridging Mm. is far more substantial, a a carrier of derating that that total wall system. So if the listeners are picking up on on this, this is probably the the real key thing. 2019, NCC 2019, for those classes three to nine, are going to be really critical uh, going forward to make sure thermal bridging is accounted for properly. And your ESD consultant needs to be part of that consultation process early. Um, and uh, then with your manufacturers, making sure that the compliance for 4859 2018 is there, that they've got their um, you know, documentation for all their insulation products, their aging, et cetera, is all done. And that there is a thermal value summary report, which you can ask for to show the, uh, uh, the declaration of all those, uh, all those points. Um, so that's that's that offers up a, a better you know building design. There's also probably a, you know worthwhile for listeners. I'm not sure how many of us have, have checked in with installation Australasia. A good website that has uh, many good documents there around some of these changes and requirements, uh, including 4859 2018, including AS5637 Part One for uh, uh, for full scale room testing, etc. For soffits and, and the like for DTS group lining numbers. Um, Lots of good information from Insulation Australasia if you check out their website.
0: Yeah, thanks for that breakdown, Rob. Um, now, as uh, we slowly wind down, um, uh, maybe just zooming out a little bit and getting moving away from the technical bit, uh, it'll be interesting to hear about um, your observation um, in the in the in the industry now that it will be a year or so, a year or so since the, the new code was introduced. The NCC twenty nineteen was uh, finally introduced. Because uh, it came in, it kicked in um, mid mid last year, um, so yeah, I'd be interested to hear about your observation um, so far. whether it's engaging with um, consultants, designers, uh, builders, um, and if you have any learning so far,
1: it's been interesting, hasn't it, Stu? It really, has been a mixed bag. Would you say that it's it's been very uh, yeah, very, very some some designers have still. Doing NCC 2016 builds and uh, are now scratching their heads when they're starting on 2019 builds and they're going, what do we do? <laughs> and others have been a long way into it as well. So as you said, Kelvin, 20 uh, what may last year, Stu?
2: Yeah, uh, the the adoption of the changes um, very very different in very in different states. For example, mm. uh, Western Australia delayed the introduction of it. They've only just just um, uh, introduced. Uh, section A yeah. changes. Um, Northern Territory are just going, moving up to NCC twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. They're like years, years behind us all. Um, so they're not. They're only just getting to twenty sixteen. They haven't even adopted twenty nineteen. Um, yeah, we had. Like, um, I, 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 it's just my opinion. I think Victoria moved pretty quick into it, um, and, and, and New South Wales um, in that regard. But like Rob said, we've, the learnings are re- really, really cumbersome and really scary. It's not as scary. Right, there's, there are lots of solutions to, to meet thermal compliance. Um, you know, it's just there are materials out there, there are um, solutions, and it's just we see that engaging ESDs very early on, and talking to your your experts, talk to your talk to your ESDs, <coughs> your facade consultants, and all the engineering disciplines that you need to um, as early as you can. Engage with your suppliers. Like us, we're, we're, the services are for, for free. <laughs> All the engineering firms and the architects do that. Um, whereas I think and that, I think it's a big learning, not just from our learning, it's they, they, the, the industry has learned as well. Um, I still think, like I said in, earlier in this podcast, I think there's still a gap between this, what we've learned, and then the learning that's happening in the field. We're still yet to see that truly take place and, and go, oh, more bridging. I understand why the architect has, and the engineer has designed the bit, the envelope this way. I get that and I'm going to build it that way. I think there still is pushback mm-hmm. because of the, the, the conservative nature of the strain. construction industry doesn't like change too much um, physically constructing the building in that regard yeah
1: i, I agree there, there's uh, there's a, a fair way to go i think for everyone to feel comfortable but uh, you know the change must occur and uh, will occur over time and people will become used to a new way and uh, we, we will adapt and we will adopt those those correct strategies uh, and one thing we didn't have a real good chance we probably won't be able to get too deep into it is is one of the the verification methods um you know that we talked about very early on was predicted mean vote PMV as it's called <laughs> uh, and how, so do you want to cover this, how this actually affects um, design and uh, the importance of getting this right with the yeah. SD consultant and how it can affect a, a building is quite critical. So this is a very new part of NCC 2019,
2: something which uh, affects the occupants more than anything else. Yeah, so again, yeah, part of the learning, we've never heard of this thing called predicted mean vote the pmv which really is internal comfort so we've learned that i think the industry's learned that too as part of the um, jv3 verification method is as, as part of the jv3 that needs to be assessed um, um, the big learning that we've taken on from that is that we're always at kingspan and thermally we're talking about conditioned to unconditioned spaces okay envelope walls yeah. and floors and roof whereas pmv that covers 95% of the floor area and 98% of the occupiable time of the building. So you could be, near, you know, you have an occupant near the window, has some nice radiant heat from the, from the sun and so on. And then you've got someone else who's in the middle of the building and not experiencing that. So the assessment is across the whole building. Um, and the other thing is it's, it applies to 98% of the occupiable building. So it's actually all the time, sorry. Yeah, it's yeah. The hours. Yeah. So you can have a buildings run twenty four hours a day versus one one that's um, in daylight only. And so offices say versus say a hospital, Stew. That might be a correct. Mm-hmm. So the nighttime what happens at nighttime and the climate at a night time is clearly different to climate climatic conditions in day. Um, again, it's all part of the PMV and and, and the comfort of the building, and um, it's a really important important um, area. And the, the designers a somewhat grappling with that some of them
1: some of them are, some of them are d- doing it doing it uh, quite comfortably they're telling us and others are finding it quite a uh, quite a challenge I guess depending on the type of build um, but the, the some of the things that are captured in that PMV too are environmental factors as well as personal factors so the environmental factors that, that tap into that PMV requirement are the, the temperatures uh, the thermal radiation impacting the building humidity and airspeed and uh, then some of the personal, yeah. Impacts, like Stu said, you know, if you're sitting close to a uh, a window, you're going to be differently, more, more adversely affected, if you like, by the conditions outside than someone who's in the middle of the building. So, your activity as well, you you know, what you're wearing is also part of that PMV. So it's a it's quite a broad process a, really to to
2: get right. There was a study um, recently done by the University of Newcastle. Um, it looked at the thermal comfort of schools and what how does that impact on learning for children right so um, they're, they're starting to take it seriously and to see if that's um, you know we talk at thermal comfort we're also ultimately talking about occupy the occupants of the building mm-hmm. how they're learning what's the effect it have on learning with a patient in a hospital what is it what ha- what does it have on their recovery um, and like, you know an office block the office worker what does it have effect on his his or her yeah, productivity mm. <clears throat> so on. So it's a large. It's right.
0: you, you
1: and I, Stu, are probably young enough uh, to remember having schoolrooms, classrooms without any insulation, without any air conditioning, without even a ceiling fan. So it was, uh, it was. Yeah. And then
2: we haven't even touched on moisture, right? So, yeah. like years ago, you'd have the inside and outside of the same temperature, never had moisture problems. Now we've got thermally performance buildings. We've got um, air tightness, we've got air conditioning and these three things have created buildings that are pro or prone to, to condensation. So the technology has moved across and we're, this evolution and Kelvin, you've asked, what's our learnings? This is another one. <laughs> How are we going to deal with condensation more and more and more as a result of changes to Section J as a result of these new standards and increasing, increasing air tightness, increasing, um, making things more thermally resilient um, you know, they not just that it's bad, but actually <clears throat> brings up other challenges that, that we may or may not have thought of. And, and that could be a whole new discussion
1: too, couldn't it, uh, Kelvin and Stu? <laughs> yeah. that, that could be a whole area <laughs> it's on its own <laughs> just for, for, yeah, for, definitely yeah, for real, a talk. Uh, <laughs> if you'd have us back, Kelvin, but we can maybe touch on more deeply. Into, into and
2: the, the other one, mate, the other one, yeah. just observations, is leading beyond Section J is, is into the residential space, into seven-star homes, and we're seeing... You know, government and so on, um, mandating seven-star homes uh, for their housing and so on. That, and that's inevitable.
1: Too, they're pushing to seven and a
2: half, some of them as well. So it's yep, uh, and they, and they and they don't want to. They want to build. They want to build sustainably with minimum materials to a point where it's actually hitting those those ratings, those those thermal ratings. Um, but of course, at a cost-effective way. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want to put triple glaze windows in these things. It's really expensive. Um, so we can re- marry up cost of glazing versus cost of other parts of the building to hit that, those benchmarks. It's an um, interesting conversation now. We're just grappling with that now. Mm-hmm. The, industry. The, the other areas too, I guess, which are becoming far
1: more uh, uh, visible in our, in our landscape, uh, conventional builds, Kelvin, so conventional mm-hmm. builds and maybe listeners are across this area mm-hmm. too is, is moving more into the, the modular prefabricated volumetric builds so uh, you know there's there's all sorts of issues um, that uh, that we're hearing and seeing in that space so if any of the listeners are across um, yeah. that uh, for example a you know, modular volumetric build has a lot of steel work in it so hence uh, instantly thermal bridging is a much higher impact oh yeah. uh, area than than conventional builds mm. so there's issues there how do we how do we you know get around that for the walls floors ceilings uh, mm. and have a have a building that could be maybe has to be you know, used in different climate zones so
2: if you Rob if you look at any in, in your modular and volumetric buildings you look at just off-site construction mm. any whether it's flat packed even whether it's just mm. a wall mm. any this, this is a huge in, a huge uh, part of the industry and, and a trend that's becoming bigger and bigger is anything they can do off-site mm. manufactured in a factory and delivered to site reduces waste speeds things up. Hopefully makes it cheaper, but it's, it's, a, it's a very sustainable, um, more efficient way to build. You can do it quicker. Um, quite often, it, might, it may not be cheaper, but it's actually quicker, which leads to being things being cheaper. Um, but it definitely reduces waste. That's yeah. Right. yeah, you can imagine lifting, you know, crane movements lifting steel and things up onto a top top deck of a you know, 20, 10 story building, and then you've got to unpack stuff, you've got rubbish, and you've got to bring it all the way back down. If that's all done in a factory. Mm. and all you're doing is driving to site there's lots of positives to that and we're seeing that happen as well but also grappling with like rob said you've got to get it to site there's there's road restrictions and there's it's, it's on the back of a truck and it's vibrating and so it's got to be made of steel which is a lot of bridging And so section j meeting those requirements is is challenging for these people so modular so, yeah yeah so mm. interesting though no? really interesting really um, very fun part of the
0: construction space that we all like working with those guys and from, from, from your perspective, how, how are you like internally as Kingspan adapting to the new, the new landscape? I guess we skill up, don't we? We, we do. We do. Like we
1: we, look, we, look at- Three years ago, we were in a different direction of what we are now. <laughs> so, yeah, skill up and uh, really get, you know, we're, we're sort of flowing with, with the times, some, somewhat uh, responding sometimes to the market forces um, uh, as quickly as we can. Mm-hmm. And the changes and directions there, and um, uh, you know, sometimes being on the front foot, we have solutions. For example, from our overseas, um, uh, you know, areas of, of which, like Europe, is far more advanced in certain areas than what we are here, unfortunately. So we can take you know, expertise and experience from our overseas affiliates and apply them here to some of the uh, the requirements, the new requirements here. So there's lots of different arms and legs to it, but I think uh, we've grown a lot in in our short space of time, Stu and I, we've seen a lot and I know our comrades in our company that have been
2: around for a long time have seen lots of changes over that period of time, particularly. We work with um, organisations too, right? So we've got very strong uh, ties to their Green Building Council and ASBEC and EEC and... Mm. And these, and like, and the Aust- insulation, Australasia, all these organisations that um, are on the on the front foot in sustainable design, energy efficiency, and so on. Um, so, when there's huge changes like changes to Section J, um, we do lean on organisations to help and assist and so on. But it is very much around um, understanding first, being very, very compliant. Cha- changing where we need to change, like updating our materials to meet 4859 Part One, understanding how how thermal bridging going to affect the the, the world of the, the construction industry, and then educating, and then showing people, and that's largely what we do. We've got the we've launched the Kingspan Digital Academy on that, and we have that. Uh, it's a it's a it's a public forum that we. Um, educate and and, and that's gathering a lot of momentum too, isn't it, Stu? That that forum has
1: been really good for us. From the first one that we did in in March, where we I think we had over some like five hundred uh, registrations to this latest one that you uh, that you were an instrumental part of and, and delivering, we had uh, over six hundred yep. so yeah, uh, so so. and eighty registrations. Yeah, correct. and people are wanting to learn and needing to learn, and they want to become obviously more professional in what they do and how they do and um, you know,
2: well, at the end of the day, it's all about that sustainability and uh, being more efficient and effective. you to be agile. You know, you got to, yeah. you got to change. It's you, you stand still, you'll be left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, the code NCC is going to come in. It has come in. NCC twenty twenty two will come in. Yeah. Um. Again, it's a little bit of step change. We need to adjust. Be agile. Listen to our customers and listen to what the market wants, and then move. That's that's what. That's why. King is, is
0: you know he's re- so successful that way mm. nice and the code will get more stringent over time as well absolutely absolutely and when we have
1: wel- got we welcome that that stringency i think that's going to be challenging won't be easy for for any of the stakeholders including manufacturers yeah. but uh, you know it's, it has to it has to happen we we really got to step up and, and improve our uh positions on on you know
0: buildings and how effective they are and how efficient they are so Uh, It really is is critical. So if someone is interested, because you you did mention the Digital Academy, is that on your website? So just for the listeners that may be interested in whether it's learning more about the product or the different concepts that we've talked about today, um, what would be the best place for them to to go? So um, definitely, uh, if you uh,
2: uh, just simply Google Kingspan Digital Academy, um it'll it'll come up alternatively you just go into the kingspan installation website um and, and search for the page in that way but that would be the that would be the path um if anyone the might. other way to learning
1: too Stu, isn't it apart from the Kid-
2: digital academy that we have
1: quarterly for example now is the, is the program i think the next one's in september if i'm correct so watch out for that but you know we do provide Webinars uh, via video call to uh, firms. So, if you're a, if you're an architectural firm, uh, or an ESD firm, or a, a fire safety engineering firm, or building surveyor, whatever you are, uh, we can provide a, uh, um, a a packaged webinar for you and your staff. So that can be done um, around your timing and timeframe for for your valued colleagues. So there's a number of ways we can we can provide that. Uh, that training and, and uh, professional teaching and, and CPD points as the, as the uh, Kingspan Digital Academy provides. There are also CPD points available via webinar for, for each individual firm if that's what you wish to do. Uh, you can be contacted and uh, make a time for that.
0: Nice. Uh, as we uh, wind down one of the last questions <coughs> um, uh, more at a personal level, um, are there specific people or maybe uh, groups of people that you uh, follow from a push, uh, professional uh, perspective or you find incentive, insightful from a content perspective within the industry? Well, we're
1: going to start following you a lot more, Kelvin, if that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have to be on your mailing list for your future uh, endeavours in these podcasts. Uh, yeah, but look, they're a good question, actually. Stu, would would, uh, would you like to um, cover off how many people were? are liking to, to sit alongside and, and listen to? You mentioned some of the. the, the
2: uh, yeah, there's the, some of the guys, yeah, we, some of the podcasts and so on, we, we jump onto uh, like, the, you know, organizations similar to and like minded, um, you know, technical, firmly advanced, you know, I guess you call them thought leaders of the industry, CSIRO. Um, they've got some really, they had some, traditionally had some very nice um, podcasts. Um, yeah, Darren O'Day, as as we all know, has had some done some really nice things in the past. We jump onto um the Green Building Council's got some really nice engagement in sustainability. Um we've um we engage with a number of them. And they're just and even even to the point where it's some very, very um um very um, I guess, you know, clear thinking organizations in in the design space. And they could be architects and engineering firms that have these from time to time. Um, but we have a we don't have one one or a number of areas where we source inspiration and motivation from and ideas from. Kelvin, the biggest part of the and the inspiration comes from our clients. You know, it's the guys like yourself. Um it's it's um uh yeah, it's industry it's which, which covers off all our all the architects and the engineers who quite often come up come come to us with challenges. Um and those challenges lead lead us thinking about how we do things and can we do things better and how can we overcome those. Covid was a big one, right? So Covid presented a challenge to us of, of we can't. How can we how can we deliver what we deliver to people now that we can't physically see people and that's how the digital academy was born, right? And it's turned into a big success. So <clears throat> um, inspiration and motivation and who we look up to and, and listen to is. Come from the most unusual places, like a virus, yeah. um, and it's just enabled us to do things better and faster and, and more fun, more fun like this. Mm. This is this is new, uh, and and you know we've
1: been approached also by other companies that do were were doing seminars, but now they're doing webinars. Obviously, for that reason that Stu just mentioned, in terms of the, the lockdowns that we've had to have, and uh, um, you know, so we've done various presentations with different platforms and all sorts of things so yeah, it's about staying fluid and um, reacting to what's happening in the marketplace as well as being proactive
2: mm-hmm. as well and driving out some of the the. That's a big point actually Rob you've got to be proactive we can't sit back and wait right? wait for change and wait for people to come to us this is part of the digital academy it's part of being providing education cpd points to the industry we, we, we need to be on the front foot and out to say hey we are we can help um so it's a huge ethos. It's part of the culture within Kingspan now is we need to be f- proactive. And there's no other way to say it. So no point but being really sitting here and waiting for people to come to us. Proactive and adapt and uh adaptable as well. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly right. Yeah, That's be right. agile, agile.
1: Yeah. It's exactly what you're doing, Kelvin, in, in your podcasts here, that you're <laughs> that you're going front foot and you're delivering uh you know content that uh, the people are seeking um, to, to hear about and learn about. So, you know, that's all part of, uh, of the same process. You're being front foot and proactive. And I know all the listeners here too uh, are driving that, that direction as well, being proactive by listening to information and sharing that information. So it's, it's, a, it's a cool world.
0: Sure. And uh, with that, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up for, for this session. Um, thanks again for making, making time today. Um, Rob, uh, we both uh, both in Melbourne, so still still in lockdown for another seven or so days. Um, but yeah, thank you for for making time today, and um, really look forward to uh, sitting down again because today we only. Yeah, I feel like we're only focused on the thermal breaching uh, side of things, which is only one, uh, one of the major changes that came in um, with a new with a new code. There are other aspects, particularly the ones um, pertaining to uh, maybe comfort and um, health and immunity. Mm-hmm that, uh, we didn't touch on today, which is, um, condensation, um, how do we manage condensation effectively? And then the other factor, which is the PMV and the thermal comfort, uh, aspect of it as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to, yeah, sitting down again with you guys in the, in the near future and having a conversation around that, um, around that topic, um, okay. and hearing more about some of the, um, products as well, because it's always good to, um, keep informed in terms of what's available in the marketplace as well um so that uh yeah everyone has something to to learn from and and i think that's an important thing too there are a lot of great products out there for different applications and, and
1: you know we are not everything to every situation and, and uh you know stew and myself and the team and the technical department uh, will make recommendations appropriately. Uh, that's important that, that, that the right system is selecting the right product. So it's not always that we're putting our materials up. If we're not the right material, then uh, we obviously provide direction to uh, other more suitable materials. So, mm-hmm. But we want to thank uh, you know, your, your listeners. Uh, we want to thank you, Kelvin, for the opportunity to, uh, to share some of the things
2: that Stu and I have seen and learned and done in the last uh, yep. few years that's no, good kelvin thanks mate really appreciate it thanks for your time and uh the opportunity to talk about this it's actually it's refreshing to have a chat openly about these things you, you, you do your day-to-day thing and do not necessarily have a good chat like this with um rob and yourself in this format so thank you
0: thanks no oh, worries at all thanks guys